0: Feel about yourself now. That's probably the biggest. That's the million dollar question. Um,
1: well, I love the one. Like you know, I came I came in with no self esteem and now I have low self esteem. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs>
1: like there is there is a like you know, it's all a work in progress. Yeah. Um, but definitely like there is some some like, pride in myself. Um, yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling probably the best about myself like that I've ever felt, which is kind of special to be honest.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's Matt. It's been one month since he left the buttery, and his recovery is on track. He's almost ready to go home, as the song says, to her door. <laughs>
3: The Buttery. Immortalised in Paul Kelly's iconic song is Australia's most famous drug and alcohol service. A therapeutic community
0: celebrating 50 years. Hi, I'm George Catsey. And I'm Mandy Nolan. And this is the story of this special place and what brings people to their door.
3: (music) This podcast has followed 50 years of The Buttery the story of the building, the people, the region, and the passion and purpose that has made this therapeutic community such an enduring feature in the drug and alcohol rehabilitation landscape. So how does the buttery fit
4: into the broader picture of drug and alcohol services? Hi, I'm Rob Sterling. I'm the CEO here at NADA, which is a network of alcohol and other drug agencies. And we represent non-government drug and alcohol services across New South Wales and the ACT. And I guess our core mission is to make sure that we have a network, to, you know, as our name implies, network of agencies. We came about from a network of non-government drug and alcohol services who wanted to have a united voice to government um, on issues impacting on the sector. And so everything we do is kind of embedded in the views and experiences of those services and their needs. And I guess our values are around inclusion. We've got a really diverse non-government drug and alcohol sector, which is fantastic. Uh, we, we represent Aboriginal community-controlled services through to specialist women's services that work with children in their care as well. And I think that's something that we like to celebrate is, is that diversity of the sector because we know that there's, there's no one-size-fits-all model for, for people who might be experiencing alcohol and other drug issues.
0: So, Rob, what are the issues that are impacting the, se- the sector?
4: first and foremost, the underfunding of the sector. Um, I think stigma and discrimination towards people who use alcohol and other drugs happens at the policy space as well. And we're really, uh, in terms of areas of healthcare, we absolutely don't get um, the funding and the attention required to you know really give, uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to give discredit because I think our members do provide quality services, but we could be doing so much more. Um, and we could have such a stronger workforce if we were appropriately funded to deliver services.
0: One of the things that um, the buttery um, ex chairs have been telling us is this complex process of reapplying for funding mm-hmm. over and over again. Do you think having a you know constant a constant stream of recurrent funding, where those reporting and reapplying um, kind of requirements weren't necessary, would would impact um, service delivery.
4: Absolutely, I was in a consultation yesterday. The, the premier and cabinet are developing the whole of government drug and alcohol strategy, and they are asking around workforce sustainability and what supports workforce sustainability. And that's a, it's a great example because I said you wouldn't build a hospital and then only to say you 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 might not be there in three years. And so I think what it's the message that it sends is: do you really value? the residential rehabilitation sector and alcohol and other drug sector when you're constantly saying in three years' time we'll review you to see whether you're, you're good enough to keep getting funding. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, that impacts on workforce sustainability. Like if you've got a mortgage, you're passionate about what you do, but you get to, you know, three months out from the end of your contract and you don't know if you've got a job, I just think it's really unacceptable. Um, and I think the sector could be so much stronger if we had certainty of contracts going mm-hmm. forward, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we're outgathering stories about the buttery to celebrate 50 years. What's your relationship with the buttery? And 50 years, is that? Is that knowing what the funding cycles are, is that an extraordinary achievement, um, knowing the challenges that they face?
4: It's a huge achievement and I think that's definitely something to be celebrated. NADA's 47 years and I think probably the buttery were part of that original network that came together to establish us as a peak body to represent and have a united voice. Absolutely, I think it's it needs to be celebrated. I think the buttery is so embedded in its community, um, and you know its model is you know the therapy community model, which is embedded in community and and togetherness. And I think that obviously permeates out across the community, and people hear those stories, and so they they feel connected to wanting to be connected.
3: So, Robert, talk to me about how you think that connection between the service and community um, does that underpin. Success at all is that is that part of a successful model for for the service and how does it affect say maybe the success for 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 those who are attending?
4: I think connection to community is absolutely vital because people are going into a service like the buttery, but they're only the buttery only holding and working with someone for a particular period, and that person's going to go back out into community, and they need to be able to sustain um, what they've learned and and what they're that You know, what their goals are moving forward. So I think that connection is absolutely really important. I mean, I think the challenges are around where people travel to from the buttery. Not everyone is from the, the Northern Rivers area that goes to the buttery and how the challenge of maintaining connection when you might be going back to another community. Um, drug and alcohol services are amazing in that we are funded through health but actually what we provide is so much more than health it's looking at the person holistically and all of their needs whether that's you know part of housing and um, engagement with their families if they've been disconnected. But housing and access to housing is such a huge gap for the people that are accessing our services. And we know if you don't have secure housing, how can you then address and and look at some of the, you know, if you're in recovery, um, it makes it pretty challenging if you're going back and not being able to have stable housing. There were so many things that um, the people with lived experience were telling me about the importance of having a workforce with lived experience. And I think organisations like the Buttery um, and the Therapeutic Community Model has really, you know, it's really relied on those people with lived experience who have then come back and wanted to, you know, give back um, to community and to support people. And I think it's an area that we really need to look at, one, defining those roles to make sure it's really clear what those roles are and making sure that we value the voice of lived experience and how important it can be, but making sure we also have those support mechanisms for people with lived experience.
3: After sharing the history of the buttery in this final episode, we look at what's happening for the buttery now. CEO Leonie Creighton is the current visionary leader taking this humble service forward to another 50 years so they can continue bringing people to their door.
5: I started at the Buttery October 2018, and I've had a long history and experience with the Buttery as I'd been the CEO of mental health services, disability, other drug and alcohol programs and homeless programs. So had a long connection and partnership with the Buttery, admired them from afar. I knew Barry Evans very well, and I particularly uh, admired his style of leadership and felt that he was a mentor to me when I was an emerging CEO. So tell me how you describe your style of leadership. I've just had an organisational review uh, and part of that was my style was um, asked from the staff what they thought. And they described me as transformational, uh, that I like change and that I like to do things quickly and get things done. I would see that my style, from my perspective, is quite slower than that. I feel like I do a lot of consultation and that my style is more about listening and then just start making the decisions. But I can make decisions. I really wanted the Buttery to understand that addiction is often a manifestation of more serious mental health conditions, or it can be trauma um, responses, and that we are f- formidably a great mental health organisation and one of our specialties is treating people with addictions who have substance use disorder and also I think that I'd like to bring with the disability side of things that there's a lot of neurodiversity that people um, are experiencing, are getting diagnosed and we need to bring that into the mix as well. Also I wanted to bring more clinical governance into the service because we see people who are not very well not just from their substance use disorder, but from all of the things that has happened to them in their past. So pain, um, haven't got, you know, other coexisting conditions like hepatitis C, HIV, um, liver disease. So we really need to look at that person from the whole spectrum of their health, from their psychosocial, their spiritual, emotional, but also their physical health as well. <laughs>
0: Do you think that, Leonie, is what you're seeing as the, I guess, down the line from what you're talking about with COVID, with people escalating drug and alcohol
5: use? The literature that I've read definitely states that that's what we're going to see, that there is an increase. And um, long-term drug and alcohol misuse It won't happen in a year or two years. We're going to see it way down the line. And I think that that's what we need to be prepared for. It won't just be two years down the track post COVID. It's going to be 10 years or so down the track that we're going to see this. People's behaviours won't automatically change because the world has changed. We are working a hybrid workplace. We're still not all back working every day. So some of those behaviours haven't changed either. Um, I think people, especially young people, are very affected, not only on the North Coast because of our natural disasters, but they're worried about climate change. They've got so many things to be concerned about. And then they had this horrible pandemic as well. So I think we're going to see younger people who were doing well post-COVID with less... Um, substance abuse, I think we're going to see a change in that. That's my opinion Um, because we are getting referrals from much younger people than we have ever had before. Mm, I, I imagine that tells, you know, a big part of
0: the story. I wanted to touch then just to, before we talk about the buttery in the future, just for you to tell me what you believe is unique about the buttery, what happens there, and why you think it's such a beloved um, therapeutic community?
5: I think it's definitely the philosophy of the staff. The, f- the culture of the organisation is one that embraces people's lived experience and It's a very high proportion of our staff who have lived experience. In saying that, whilst we value their expertise, we also ask that people go and get a secondary qualification because there are a lot of boundaries and there are a lot of issues. And like I said, there's a lot of clinical needs that they're coming up against that they need to have a lot of dual Expertise, so both the qualifications, but both the lived experience. I think that that's one of the reasons it's um, quite treasured as an organisation. That that culture has remained for fifty years; it's it's still alive and well. I think as well, it's a quaint organisation. We're not very corporate. Um, I think we're very professional, but we're not corporate in our approach, and we've stayed very close to our roots. And I hope that that can remain. But as we all know, compliance in this world is getting um, harder and harder and um, we're having to embrace compliance and governance a lot more. But I think that that's why we are unique, but definitely it's the people that work there. They are definitely one of a kind. I've never worked with such um, passionate kind-hearted people before. And that goes not only toward their participant or client, it also is toward each other. There's no, it's one of the first organisations I've worked in that people do what they say they do in terms of grievance policy. If you've got a problem with someone, you go talk to them first before you talk to anyone else. Very little gossip, very little, um, Backstabbing, anything like that—it's very rare. People talk it out first, so they are doing what they are preaching to their participants. That's great, Lingoni. It was—it's
0: it, one of those incredibly important things—is culture um, within an organization. And if if things start to go wrong, it it's hard for it not to impact the whole system. So it's so great to hear that you know, and something as important as the therapeutic community that that. Is very well um, established and working how you, in best practice. So tell me too. Um, I keep talking about therapeutic community, but tell me by definition what that actually means as far as a model goes. Has it always been a therapeutic community in the model? And, and in drug and alcohol rehabilitation, where does that sit in the, the spectrum of recovery services?
5: Um, TCs, as they're known, therapeutic communities, probably sit in the purest form of rehabilitation in that the community, which includes the staff, are used as the methodology to call everybody to account on their behaviour. So that's really in its purest form. That's what you do. So everybody is there to call each other to account. Sounds like a family. It is like a family, I liken it often to a family. Um, and you do have that system that, um, people that have been in the program longer, uh, buddy, mentor, and assist those that are newer to the program. So it is that model. It's like the older, um, or the elder in the program, uh, reaches out to the younger people in the program. So that's very much, uh, that model. It's also that decisions are made as a community, not by the staff. And um, so it's a community staff led model. So that's what's very different. I think we'd like to stay as pure as we can. Um, We're also very pure as a tc on the abstinence models so we don't work on a harm minimization model at the residential program in all of our other outreach programs which are about 85% of our other programs are community outreach it is harm minimization at the residential rehab tc it's abstinence based so just for people listening that are unaware what you mean by
0: harm minimization abstinence obviously is zero substance mm-hmm. can you just describe
5: just explain what you mean by harm minimisation. So harm minimisation is the ability to um, look at uh, your substance use and reduce it to a point that it's not causing you or your family or loved ones harm to yourself or to your body. So there's many Ways of doing that it can be through controlled drinking, having a couple of alcohol-free days, um, with substances of um, you know addiction like uh, methamphetamine, things like that. It's about trying not to inject, possibly smoke. Um, it might be about saying, okay, I'm also going to have some drug-free days. Um, it's just about reducing the harm that the substance is causing you and the byproducts of that. And also looking after your health as well. Go Checking with the GP, checking with, um, I, I suppose, the liver clinic, seeing how your health actually is overall, because if you get told it's really not good and you continue to use substances in the way that they're harming you, um, you really have to reflect on that too. So it's part of that, and psychoeducation is a big part of harm um, minimization Is for people not don't often know what the effects of drug and alcohol can do on you long term, and even in the short term. Um, particularly, I think alcohol, the liver is a quiet um, organ it doesn't muck up until it really mucks up. So people can be heavy drinkers or heavy drug users and they they think they're okay, but when it comes down and they get sick, they get very sick and very quickly they get sick. So that's part of people knowing that as well. So tell me too, Leonie, I,
0: what I want to know is what are the opportunities, like where are you now and where has the buttery grown and where would you like to see the Buttery expand its um, reach or where the potential and opportunities for growth sit right now? For you as that visionary CEO that sits there um, thinking about how, how do you reach into the need that you see that's projected in the upcoming years?
5: I think there's a great need for parental support um, as a parent who has a substance use disorder and then on the flip side is supporting the child of that parent. I think there's a big gap there uh, for someone who has parenting or caring responsibilities to go into long-term rehab is not reasonable at times. So how can we do that better and do it in a day program way? We've got one of the first day programs available, but I'd like to see that expand. What's that one called? CORE the core program. It's been uh, decommissioned lately, but we still will be doing day program, day re- rehabilitations about six weeks. It's a nine to two thirty program. You can go there. The It is about harm minimization, but I'd like to see that children of parents who are coming to the program are more involved in it as well so that they get that side. We haven't got that yet, but that would be a goal of ours. The other is to partner with more Aboriginal um, community controlled health organisations. I think we have got a great relationship with our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. About 37% of people that attend our community outreach programs are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, peoples, but we don't always get it right. And I'd like to see that we do that a lot better because there is, um, a disproportionately high amount of, um, substance use in the community that is harmful. Um, people with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are not necessarily, um, use drugs and alcohol more than the non-Aboriginal population. They actually use it less, but the harms associated, um, and that's because of all the other coexisting conditions that they have and that we know about the um, their morbidity rates and things like that, and also intergenerational trauma. I think as well I'd like to see a few more rehabs um, that use both a TC model and maybe a harm min model, like abstinence, you know, zero tolerance to taking any substance with some other rehabs that we can help people come in using drugs and titrate them, which means um, decrease the amount of drugs that they're taking while they're there. I think that would be great. There aren't really enough rehabs in this area. From here to Port Macquarie, the next one down is coughs, but that's mainly for men. And the other big gap is women. There's a right. huge gap for women that um, that should be, and not just women, but families. Family rehabs that you can, your children can be come along and live with you while you're in long term rehab. What are those challenges to get the funding um, to sustain
0: what you're doing at the buttery, but also grow those programs?
5: The challenges of late, and um, we've been lucky on one hand that we had the special commission into the drug known as as ICE um, by Dan Howard, and he made some fantastic recommendations that have um, now they've just rolled out tenders for new types of funding. Though Those actual writing of those tenders are is exhausting. You know, you can work on those for – you might only have four weeks, but to write seven tenders in four weeks – in a small organisation, the butter is not a large organisation either. We've quite small in terms of compare it to some of our other, um, I would say competitors or partners, uh, you know, they might be $300 million organisations and we're about a $13 million income. So instead of having 30 people write the tenders, 40 on a team, I've got four and I'm one of them. And we might hold up for four weeks 12 day, twelve hour days, seven days a week to write them. So that's pretty draining. Um, and then all the angst that goes with it that, you know, you've got a great idea, but did you articulate that idea well on paper for some bureaucrat who has got a good intention as well, but did you write it well enough? You know, it did. are they getting the idea that you wrote? So that's a constant now. Um, that's been happening for the last six months. It's another round just come out now that we'll have to um, buckle in. So then you're not getting your day job done. So that's one of the challenges. Um, and also the disappointment when uh, you don't get, your great odd idea doesn't get it doesn't translate into money. The other thing is infrastructure is a really big issue for lots of organisations. And with the buttery being in such an old building, the rehab itself, that's a challenge because we don't get funded for infrastructure. There is a small grant coming out lately, um, but we're an old building that needs a lot of work, um, extremely difficult to get that money to fix it up. And I don't want our participants to come into a daggy old building, they deserve more. I look at our Safe Haven program, which was funded by Healthy North Coast. Those properties there that are mental health drop-in services are beautiful. And one elderly lady said to me and the minister, the previous minister for mental health, um, we deserve this we deserve to be in a nice place and that's how i think about the buttery tc and and the the rehab center we people deserve to go to a nice place and it's 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 tired. It's very tired. Are there plans
0: to um, give it a bit of a makeover? Or?
5: Uh, there's lots of plans. Um, yes, we've done lots of planning, and uh, but the they were main, the main infrastructure things are very expensive, and they're things like sewerage that not anyone's particularly interested. We're on town water, which I thank the Byron Shire Council for that, which was a huge. Um, relief for us because being on bore water only and then being on septic, it's quite complex, but it could have contaminated the site forever. So I really thank Byron, Rousk, uh County Council as well. And they did all that for us during, just after the floods. So they worked very hard for that to happen. And I appreciate that. But then it is, you know, Sewer? Who's interested in that? Who do I go to ask for funding for the sewer? You know, it's not a very sexy thing to ask for. Um, and look, we get lots of donations uh, as well. We're quite lucky. We have some very, very sound donors that give us money every year. One of them is our chair, who probably wouldn't like to be acknowledged, but I think I should acknowledge him. He donates a significant amount of money to the buttery every year, um, but there is a challenge there going forward. What will we do with the site? And then commercial property leasing in our outreach programs, it's expensive to lease properties, yet we only are allowed to spend between 6 and 10% on administration. And most of the money does go towards the participant, the clients for staffing. But insurance has gone up, electricity has gone up, all cost of living things that we're all experiencing when you're running a business. And I know this is a small business mm. and to run it and to make a little bit of profit. Cause if you keep going backwards, you'll go backwards and you'll become insolvent and then you will no longer be a business. Um, that's hard and it's hard to get donations from people. and we're not a sexy industry either. Forget sewer when you t- there is still a large stigma around people who who use drug and alcohol um, to, to, to harmful levels. a
0: definite stigma out there. How do you go fundraising? How much of your budget do you have to fundraise?
5: Um, we, we would like to get to about 10% of the total budget um, to be fun to, to, to receive in funds. We, um, because we've increased income recently, we were probably nearly there, but because we have won a few tenders of late, we have to now increase the fundraising. And it's also about, you know, who do you go to, to develop a great website and social media and all those things that are really important now. We're not good at doing that. It's not our area of expertise. And I don't have 40 people on the corporate services team. It's
0: true. I was actually remarking the other day, it takes, I didn't know changing the world um, took so
5: much admin. Like when you, (laughs) there's so much admin. Can't we just do the good stuff? Just even trying to introduce, for example, we have a um, 0266871111 phone number for our centralised intake. Now, that number's been in existence for a very, very long time. We've been talking about getting a 1300 number, but that means we have to update a website. We have to update our brochures. We have to let all those people know that have been using that number for years and years and years that it's changed. That's not an easy thing to do. How do you get it out there on social media? that costs money. Websites cost money. Um, and, you know, I looked up website developers yesterday and there were 1,900,000 developers <laughs> out there. How do I choose as a person that doesn't have that skill? How do I choose who's right for us? you know do i go to the biggest company that's going to cost us a million dollars or do i go for a company that you know has heart and soul um but may not necessarily get our message out so there's there's a challenge in that as well and if you don't get the message out you don't get the people to your service and that's what ultimately you need and it is tough to do this but i chose to be at work in the ngo sector and all the people that are there are there because they chose to be there um we have to keep sight about the people that we serve and that we have to be their advocates as well. I believe that the lived experience voice is very important and I, I know people can speak to that as well themselves, but there are those that won't speak and can't speak and I think we have to do that for them and I think that that's what the butter is done well and I hope we continue to do that in the future. A lot of people are looking at private Um, Models. Okay, so around the Buttery Private, that started as a social enterprise. So any profit that we make, uh, that goes back into the free um, government-funded service, New South Wales government-funded service. Um, We also have a scholarship program there. So if someone is a priority on our wait list and they can't afford to go to the Buttery Private, um, which is a four-week program, we give a free space to that person. So it's it's talked about in a clinical sense, in a priority sense, it's where the person person's health is at. And so we offer them that free program. And it's so that somebody that is a priority priority need is not going to be on the wait list for six months. And it might mean that it just kickstarts their journey. So I think- that answers that question. I think we'd like to expand that program. I think it could do more because not everybody needs a government funded service, uh, nor do they want it. They want the confidentiality and the anonymity that a private service can offer. However, it's not a very regulated sector. So we're working towards the highest uh, accreditation, health accreditation that you can have, so that we really know what we're doing, and that we're not just providing a um, high-end service. We're not a, we don't see ourselves as a wellbeing service. We see the Buttery Private still as an alcohol, drug, and mental health service. It's not a wellbeing retreat. Um, it does have a few extra goodies. Um, there's a chef and there's yoga and but we 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 have yoga and meditation and, and outings at the um, government-funded service as well. But the conditions are a little bit better because people expect that when they're paying money. But people like coming there because they know that any profit that we make goes back into to the other services that people, um, the government-funded services where there's a gap in funding.
0: I wondered, Leonie, if you could tell me, even as a, as a guesstimate, um, how many people have been through the buttery?
5: I think the other day I did have a stab at this. Um, I th- would be over 10,000 people just in the residential program. Are you kidding? 10,000 people? In 50 years, yeah. Wow. Do You know, you, we're funded by both Commonwealth State a number of agencies now. Um, I like that we have that holistic program. So someone can come into the buttery now, and that's, I suppose, the moving forward part of this is, I, I think I mentioned to you about the redress service. Someone can come into the buttery and have an experience of, um, you know, institutional child, child sexual um abuse and still come to our rehab but be helped by another program which is funded by a different um, department but also that skill set is very different than what an addiction specialist needs but we can help both that so the same with the family program um, we have a different set of skills for our family support workers so now you could come into an outreach program and have five different services provided to you or meeting your needs, or you could come into the rehab program and be helped by one of the outreach programs, either when you leave or while you're a participant there. So it's it's about treating everybody's nuances. It's not about putting people in the one basket, like this. this is going to work for you, because it doesn't. We're so unique as people that we know what works for one person won't work for another. So we have to provide as much as we possibly can. And I think it's great to stick to your knitting, but only providing one service, and that would be just, you know, our history of only providing a rehab service at Bangalore will not help everybody in this complex world that we live in. Um, And like I said, parents, children, Aboriginal people, women, you know, we need bespoke services for those people. It but you can do it in the community. It doesn't necessarily always be in rehab.
0: Do you think, Leonie, that the, the buttery's appetite to constantly um, adapt and, and innovate and reflect the needs of the people that it's trying to, trying to meet is part of why it's so successful, that it hasn't just stopped and gone, this is the model, like it or lump it?
5: I think so. I think, and I think we're getting better at it. I think we're getting better at adapting. I think there was a time then. The buttery did stand still. There was a moment in time that it did stand still, and it saw itself only as an addiction rehabilitation specialist. And as you said, heroin was a—you uh, know—that was the seventies and eighties when that that was a such a a need. Um, now we know that there are po- it's poly drug use, which is the issue. It's not one drug. Okay, so was that where it started to shift? Where you went? The
0: model had to shift as as the the people that you were meeting in the service had to shift. Yes.
5: Yeah. I think that it became a time when there were less people being referred to primary drug of choice was heroin. It might've been heroin, but it might've been alcohol. Uh, Then we had a lot of time when there were the benzodiazepine um, drugs were being used as well. Uh, Then, then, and along came amphetamine, but then we had methamphetamine, which we know is at crisis point. Um, and cocaine is another uh, drug as, as well. And then there's all the other things that come, you know, that we don't, you know, there's the ecstasy or, you know, um, that, that people don't tend to use one drug anymore they use a number of drugs. So they might have a choice of drug, but if they can't get that, they'll take anything. I think what the main thing that's happened for us is when we refer out, we have nowhere to refer people to for stable housing. I'm looking at the Commonwealth housing programs and they really need to look at people who have um, are in recovery. Because if you go to a rental property now, and we know that there's a lack of rental properties anyway, but if you do go to a rental property and you say you've been at the buttery for eight months, you're not going to get up the top of the list. Uh, so we we are a small community housing provider, but I would like to see us grow in that area. That's a big leap for the buttery. Uh, I have been a CEO of a community housing provider before, so I think I could do it. And I think that if we had a niche area and it was for people in recovery. I think it's a really good model and it's a model that doesn't need a lot of um, staff support because when people in recovery and the model of, you know, particularly the AA and the NA model, they support each other. Um, They're the elders. Mm. So if we could get them into, you know, shared housing, we have some, but we definitely don't have enough. And the floods have definitely impacted on that. We could get some cheap housing in areas like South Lismore, et cetera, and we can't get it anymore. I just want to ask two more questions around trauma
0: and um, how that concept and the idea around trauma-centred care and trauma-informed care, sorry, um, has changed therapeutic models and change the way places like the Buttery do their work?
5: I don't think we're there yet. I think we as an organisation need to do a lot more work on ourselves to understand trauma-informed care. It's a concept that really was taken up very well by the mental health sector. But in the drug and alcohol sector, whilst we acknowledge that trauma is often the reason why people... um, Take you know drugs to a harmful level. I'm not quite sure if we understand that the importance of language, um, and the importance of really being aware that sometimes people can't be in a co-ed program and they should only be in a female program because their traumas come come from sexual assault or from perpetration of by a male and and vice versa. So I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're getting there. I think my my staff are very keen on learning. We use compassion-based therapy as one of our major uh, therapeutic modalities. And that is based on um, trauma-informed. It's about not ever shaming anyone um, ever and making sure that people forgive themselves. So I think that we're getting there, but we've got a lot of more work to do. And, and we're working with organizations that are experts at that, like Blue Knot and the other foundations that we can train our staff to do that better.
0: I just wanted to ask a question about the buttery's relationship with David Helfgott, um, which I, I love that that partnering, um, David is a great example of um, uh, a community member who's become a patron um, of of the Buttery and who um, has done so much for the fundraising. Do you mind telling me a little bit about David and his his wife um, Gillian's engagement or involvement with the Buttery?
5: Look, they would visit Gillian and David. um, It was very sad, the passing of Gillian. Um, David and Gillian would visit the buttery about three times a year, they would either do a fundraising event and David would do his thing, you know, whatever David does. He's a, the most unique individual I think I've ever met, um, but Gillian was his his rock. And um, they would just come and he would play for the residents and the participants there, and then he would whisper the most unique things, but he had this uncanny ability to to know people really well. He saw people. I've never seen anyone like him before. He would say to someone, I know it's hard, I know it's hard, but you're doing so well, you're doing so well. Just keep going, keep going. And he had a a fluidity of speech that, you know, he would repeat himself a lot. But he would just pick little things about people and know it. He used to call me the lioness and um, Leone in Italian means lion. Oh, look, they're an amazing couple. How fantastic. And there's something quite um I
0: don't know whether it's magical magical's the right word, but having a patron who who plays music like David, which kind of taps into the kind of deepest part of yourself, you know, often that music where there is no there are no words is, you know, there's quite deep music and, and very transformational. Amazing to have an artist do that kind of work but also something quite, more tra- well, transformational.
5: Oh, he, he, when people were there listening, when participants, staff, you know, people were there listening to him, it, nobody moved for an hour and he could play for an hour nonstop. So he would just come to the buttery and Just play. come to the buttery. We always make sure the piano's tuned um, and he would just play for an hour. He'd put on a concert. And that's what he'd do. And everybody, we'd either sit around in bean bags or whatever it was. It was very low key. Um, he he loved sweets, so we always made sure that we we had a cake or two afterwards. But he would just play for an hour, and it w- you could not hear a pin drop. And for people who, especially in the early days in rehab, for them to sit and be still and to be mesmerised by that deep music, as you say, and that deep experience, was something quite magical. It was quite magical to watch and to to see. He was, um, you know, the, he's a very special man, unique man, and like I said, he sees people. He gets mm. who they are.
0: What's your response to that kind of frame around, um, around what recovery and, and the ideas of what recovery and a recovery community is?
5: I think the one of the best things that we have introduced is that we do psychometric testing, which is what you need to do to, I suppose, see if you have achieved an outcome by providing a service. But the other thing that we've done is more around satisfaction and how people feel about them themselves, and we do that at on entry, and this is across all our programs. Every program we do that at one month, we do it at six, and we do it at twelve. And at twelve is where you see how people feel about themselves. Is their mental health better? Is their well being better? Is their health? That's success to me, not whether people are still in recovery or not, it's how they feel about themselves. I think they need to measure the success, not us. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've introduced. And I think that's much better. Success rates are very different across the world. You know, if you complete a program of rehab, say a long-term seven-month program, um, and you have 35% of say 100 people complete, that's seen as successful. But if you don't follow them up in a year... What did success really look like for them? And that's what we're doing. And we've been doing it now for about two years and our figures are very good. That That's
0: what oh, tells me success I'm really success glad I asked like. that question because um, I love that you've changed the way you do that metric. It's a much better way of informing what success looks like. Yeah. Final question. Do you like your job?
5: Yeah, I love my job. It's uh, challenging at times. Sometimes I wonder... Uh, am I doing enough? You know, it seems like there's so much more that we could do and the funding constraints, uh, frustrate me at times, but it is a wonderful job. And like I said, it's probably the nicest place I've ever worked in terms of people are so kind to each other and to not only, you know, and to me. You know, as a CEO, um, they're kind in that they're honest. Everybody will knock on my door. They'll tell me if I've hurt their feelings, if I've been, you know, at a meeting and I seem a bit cranky pants. But it's honesty Mm. and it's authenticity. And I need that. Um, I think when you are in a position of a CEO, you forget the power that you hold. And um, I never forget that at the buttery in that, not that they kowtow to me, it's because it's the opposite. They just go, hey, you know what you said in that meeting yesterday? And it didn't come across very well. And it keeps me authentic and and makes me kinder as well. Before we wrap up this podcast,
0: let's check back in with Matt. I asked if the things he learned at the buttery are helping him.
1: I'm not saying I'm not enjoying it, but it's like it's definitely like a bit of a
0: bit of a shock. And do you feel like some of the things that you learn at the buttery are have are helping you now in, in staying
1: sober? Yeah, 100%. Um, even just really minimal things like, you know, emotion regulation or, you know, having, um, you know, conversations with people that, like, just difficult conversations, like if someone upsets me, just being able to broach it with them rather than sitting there shitty about it and getting all passive-aggressive slamming doors or, like, you know, giving people silent treatment. Like, this is the most functional shared house I've ever lived in
0: in your life now as someone who's sober what are the things now that you have that you didn't have before
1: look a really big one for me like i'm i have um a lot of siblings so there's i have seven siblings mm-hmm. um you know half so like you know the whole lot but um you know my little brother um got he went into detox basically the day i was coming coming out of the buttery so his started his journey with, you know, um, recovery and just kind of the messages I've been getting from him, like, you know, how much I've inspired him to, you know, kind of start trying to clean up his act. Um, a a really big, yeah, yeah, that's, that's like, I've always been not the problem, okay, the problem child, but, um, like, you know, all the stresses were about Matt, is Matt fucked up? What's Matt doing? La la la. Um, whereas now I can kind of be, I guess, like a role model to, you know, to other addicts, but also to my little brothers, which is yeah. really, really important Yeah, I guess it's that me. thing
0: if, like, Matt can do it.
1: Yeah, it's fully that, yeah. yeah
0: it's fully, because sometimes yeah. people feel like it's just not how I'm ever going to do that, it's too hard.
1: Yeah.
0: I guess if you had a message for the people at the Buttery, um, either the the staff or the, the people there that are in the program, what would it be? Yeah.
1: Um, the people in the program it would be don't leave like you know just don't leave um don't leave any rock unturned like you know you got a really good opportunity to have a look at yourself you get like seven months of fucking 24 7 therapy take advantage of it um and to the staff i guess it would just be like keep doing what you're doing keep you know trying to refine that program to make it as as strong as you can
0: i ask you one more question you can did you pat a dog
1: oh all the dogs my dog's coming up next week <laughs> fucking stoked yeah I patted all the dogs <laughs> all the dogs all the time yeah, yeah.
0: dog patting yeah. is on it's it, on do you know what patting dogs doesn't lead bad
1: <laughs> to relapse no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think apparently it's also a safety thing
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah you go like yeah. actually yeah. Can't trust them. Yeah. thanks so much Matt and, uh,
1: awesome um, thank you
0: I'm sure you'll go out there and have a fucking awesome one. That's it. Smash it. Yeah, do it. Thanks. While Matt is busy patting all the dogs, his friends at the buttery have gathered for their weekly choir practice. Today
3: they're singing poor Kelly's To Her Door. It's somehow even more moving hearing them sing a song whose story they've lived.
0: A story where the buttery is a place where people go to get their life back.
3: 50 years It's a testament to authenticity and compassion when purpose meets people and place.
2: They got married early Never had no money Then when he got laid off they really hit the skids. He started up his drinking. Then they started fighting. He took it pretty badly. She took of her kids. She said, I'm not standing by to watch you slowly die. To so watch me walk in out there. To a brothers, got a little far He went to the party He stayed about a year. Then he wrote a letter and said, I wanna see ya. She thought he sounded better. She sent him up the fair. He was right. And get the most fit. He was shaking his feet Right
0: I'm Mandy Nolan.
3: And I'm George Katsey. And we'd like to thank everyone who's contributed their stories to the making of this podcast.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure recording To Their Door and thank you so much to, of course, Paul Kelly, who allowed us to use To Her Door as our our key theme song and really be that beautiful moment that ties the whole feeling and ethos of this podcast together.
3: As a charity, The Buttery relies on donations from foundations, philanthropists, trusts, families and individuals. The Buttery is exceptionally grateful for the support it receives from all its generous donors. The Buttery gratefully acknowledges New South Wales state and Commonwealth government financial support it receives through New South Wales Health and the Commonwealth Department of Health. The Buttery thanks its partners who support the organisation and its participants The Buttery acknowledges its voluntary board of directors, its staff, and all its volunteers who work tirelessly for the organisation. Most of all, the Buttery acknowledges those brave people seeking support for addiction and mental health conditions. Thank you for listening to the 50th Anniversary Buttery Podcast. You have been listening to Mandy Nolan and George Katsy. This is an Authentic You media production.